Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Amy. Thank you. I'm Amy. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I have my own little clock because in the event that I turn and look every five minutes, I don't want you to have to go through the pain of knowing that I'm watching the clock. (laughs) Um, I want to talk a little bit about my day and then uh, go from there. First, I want to welcome the newcomers. Um, I'm so glad you're here and welcome and Congratulations to the chip takers. You know, if it was not for this room and every one of you in it, I probably would not have my abstinence, which would mean I wouldn't have sanity and peace and joy and freedom. Um, I'm going to start with the 12th step. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps... We try to carry this message to others and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And how that relates to my day today, um, in particular, to practice these principles in all our affairs. Before I came into these rooms, I did not have principles to, to rely on. I felt like I was trying to hammer a nail with a water balloon. And it did not work. And, and no matter how I tried, it did not work. And... And, and so and in this program, there are principles, and I'm so grateful because I feel like I have tools to, um, to approach life. And we've heard it, we've probably all heard it, that we did not, I did not have a problem with food. I had a problem with life. And uh, I used food as, as my tool. That was my primary tool. And how this came up for me, and I want to thank Jill for asking me to speak, and I mean that like probably 75% of it. Um, and I, but I am grateful. I'm, I'm so grateful to be here be, because the reason I'm here is because I have some freedom from the compulsion of food. And so thank you. Um, and, but I lose a lot of things in translation. And this program, the big book, talks about rigorous honesty. And, you know, when, I, when my sponsor first asked, told me, we're going to talk about your character defects, I thought, I am all with you. I don't know, I don't think, I, I'm not sure that I have any, but I, I'm so open to talk about it. <laughs> and she, she was very gracious, and she said, well, just, just show up. Um, but Jill asked me if I would share my story and if I would tell you what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And I said, sure. And then my head began to spin. And I'll, this is a lot of times what my head does. So I start, it started to spin. Because what I heard was, will you lose 10 pounds before you speak? Will you get the most awesome outfit? And it would be amazing if it was in a dress. And will you be funny but not, like, crazy funny? And throw in some sadness, but just the perfect amount. And don't say, um. Don't say, um, too much. And speak for 40 minutes. And actually, don't speak for 40, speak for like 34 and a half, so there's an appropriate amount of time for questions, but not way too much, because nobody can ever think of any questions. So, <laughs> And I thought, no, I can't do it, and I'm going to call in sick, and I'm not going to tell my sponsor, because she'll say, do it anyway, which is, seems to be her favorite phrase. <laughs> and so she's very gracious. She'll say, I'll say, you know, I'm really scared, or I'm really sad, and she'll say, yeah... 
do it anyway. So, um, but then today it struck me because I do have some fear. And I thought, I don't want to have fear. I want to enjoy it. I want Because if I enjoy it, guess what? You will enjoy it. And by now, you guys have probably determined if you're going to work on your to-do list or, your, you know, how long is this 40 minutes going to be? Because it's sometimes really long and sometimes fast. Um, and so today I thought, you know, practice these principles in all our affairs. And there are principles I have not found in three years. I've, so I've been in program for three years. I came into my first meeting in July of 2012. And I got a sponsor in August of 2012. We determined my eating plan, my abstinence, all of the logistics. And so if, God willing, or August, it will be three years. And I have yet to find a, come up against a life circumstance that there is not a principle for. And I have never been in a meeting where somebody says, I stumped OA. I, they, I have a life circumstance that nothing applies to. And I just love that because then I do not have to be afraid for tomorrow because nothing will come up that there is not a principle that uh, applies to it. And so today I thought, I'm afraid and I don't want to be afraid because I really want to enjoy this. And there is a principle for fear. And, um, you know, it says if a lot of fear is perhaps you could entertain the thought that you're relying on yourself. And, and the big book says we suggest that there might be a better way, that you could rely on a power that's greater or even be willing to rely on a power that's greater than you. And so, uh, so practice these principles in all your affairs. And the practice part, like I like the practice part where you add um, principles into your routine. Like it becomes part of your practice. And I think that's the noun part of the word, that you, you know, like if you practice tennis, it's part of your, once a week you go and you, that's part of your practice, you play tennis. Um, and whereas if you have lessons, then you're practicing. And I thought, I, I like to practice the principles. I like to put in like, oh, I'm going to pray and meditate, or oh, I'm going to take personal inventory. And in the event that I've wronged anyone, I'm going to make it right. I like to fold that into my daily, weekly practice. But I don't like to practice it. The verb meaning try this a lot until you get it right, which I don't like. I, don't, I want to read the principle and maybe talk to people about it, but then have it down so that I can just be like, oh, I'm sprayed. I'm going to rely on God. Done. Then it's not so much my story. And so today I thought I have the opportunity to practice the principle of relying on somebody on a power greater than myself. And, and so I would love to say that I stand here without any fear or trepidation, and, but I'm practicing. And, and, and I realized, being in these rooms, that I can have that emotion of fear <coughs> and not be a part of it, but that I can still show up, and that's just a part. It's not me. It's an element. It's a feeling. I can feel it, and I don't have to eat over it. I don't have to do anything. I can just feel it. So that is a heck of an intro. Um, so practice these principles in all our affairs. And I didn't have, uh, as I said, I didn't have principles. I didn't, have, I didn't feel like I had tools from a very young age. And because I have time, I'm going to start at a very young age. Um, and I'll start with dear old mom and dad. Um, um, their story was my story when I was a kid. I didn't have, I came into life with their story. And I was really crazy about them until about uh, I was six. And, um, and when I turned six, they stopped doing what I wanted them to do. And I, they fell from my graces. 
and I wasn't able to articulate all this, but when I was six, my mom decided she didn't want to be married, and my dad let us go. And so we, so my mom took my sister and I from Southern California to Northern California, where most of our immediate family lived. And I, we, we, that was the first time. So when I was six was the first time I remit, recall using food as a tool. And we moved from what I remember being, you know, standard mom and dad, two girls, the standard home. And we moved to a home that was dark and scary. And there were people there that didn't make, made me uncomfortable. And there was a lot of anger and a lot of fighting. And I remember that I would go to our living room. Um, my mom and my sister liked to sleep in. And so the rule was on the weekend, the school days, obviously they didn't get to sleep in. But on the weekends, they got to sleep in. But I could not go outside until one of them was up. I'm not sure what my nine-year-old sister was going to do in the event that there was any trouble. But is so they, there was usually about a three-hour window between when I got up and when one of them would get up. And there was, I remember a lot of sadness during that time. And... So I would, I was allowed to get myself breakfast. And so I would get, I wouldn't get a bowl of cereal. I would get a bowl of milk because then, and then I would get a box of cereal. And then I would get, and I wouldn't get a bowl. I would get a serving, uh, what's bigger than a, like a mixing bowl. And, thank you. And um, so I would get my mixing bowl and I would sit down on our avocado green carpet about three feet from the TV and I would have a bowl of milk, and that made me feel better. It worked. And I would, for three hours, until somebody got up, the minute I'd hear brushing of teeth or rustling or whatever, I was out. And, and that was my coping skill. And it astounds me. It just astounds me how I would find a bowl of milk, how, would I, how I would go to that. I mean, there were a million things I could go to, and I went to a bowl of cereal or a bowl of milk. And so I practiced this for, for years, for a very long time. And um, things at home were, were challenging. And there, there, again, there were people that, that scared me in my home. And my mom remarried. And, then, and things that were really important to me got broken, and they didn't get broken by me. And I continued to find refuge in a bowl of cereal, a bowl of milk, a ding-dong, whatever it was. And so I continued this, and um, so I continued this through maybe high school, and it really was felt like a coping skill to me. And then in high school, I was introduced to another bag of tricks, and there were some other people introduced me to other coping skills, and so I not only qualify for the food, I'm a food and beverage program, um, but I, so I practiced other stuff in high school, but I always came back to food, and it was my go-to. And then it, at some point in high school, it transitioned from a coping skill to a compulsion, one that I could not control. And um, I want to read a part of the big book. It says, if, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or even when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take. You are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. 
And so it went, it, it, at some point it crossed the line where I could not just have, have just one. Or I could not, I would swear I am not going to eat tonight after dinner. Or I am going to eat three, meal, three meals. And, you know, when I came into a program and it was, um, you know, you, the idea was suggested that you have three meals, my meals did not end. I had breakfast, and then I grazed, and then I had lunch, and then I grazed. And I thought, well, I have one now, so I'm happy to have three. And so no matter, I, you know, and the big book talks about I'm going to have, I'm only going to have beer, or I'm only going to have, I'm only going to have food that, you know, I would make all these arrangements with myself, and I would not adhere to any of them. And then when I was about 22, so I would put on weight, and I was all or nothing. I would put on weight. I was full of stuff. <laughs> um, I would binge, binge, binge until I was heavy, 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 and then I would restrict. And, and I would restrict long enough for that scale to be somewhat acceptable, and then I would be off and running again. And then I would, you know, just keep, keep doing that. And... Then when I was 22, I joined, started, I, be, I participated in a program that seemed to have some sanity to it, and I lost weight in a um, somewhat healthy way, and but it was pretty quick. And after I lost the weight, then I was off. Uh, it took a while. It, it felt like the, probably the most sane I'd ever felt outside of now, and. Uh, it took about three months. I lost weight, and then I, I started eating again. And but when I ate, I, ha- I was treme- I was terribly sick, and so and I didn't know what was happening. And so I went to the doctors, and it took 18 months to diagnose, but I had an issue with my gallbladder. So they removed, uh, but 18 months of testing. Then the last doctor I saw, he said, "Have you lost weight? Lost a significant amount of weight in a short period of time?" And I'm thinking. He's not going to believe me because I've put it all back on. But, yes, I have. And I told him. And he said, I want to check your gallbladder. And so he did. And uh, it was diseased or had issues. So they removed it. So it was staggering to me because that took two years of my life. From when I began that diet to when I had surgery. Two years of my life. And I'm 40-something. And two years of it. It just is a lot of time, too. And that was just the one diet. There were so many others. And so I continued after that. I was off and running again. And and um, so when I was, so I was using food for another 20 years. And in 2012, I'm going to read The Bedevilments because that is, uh, what I came in here with. It says, we were, we were having trouble with personal relations. We couldn't control our emotion, emotional nature. We were a prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. And about three years ago, I was, I've worked for the same place for about 15 years. And we had... We were putting on a big event, and we were have a plan, having a planning meeting, and all of the bigwigs were going to be there. And I had not communicated this to my boss or anybody, 
but I thought that I should have a different role in this new endeavor. This was a very exciting thing for the company I worked for, and I thought I have, a, I have devoted enough time to you guys. That doesn't sound alcoholic at all. Uh, you know, um, I should have this position. I'm not going to tell you that I think I should have this position, <laughs> but you should know. You should see the amazingness that I am and give me this position. And it came down to, and I can tell you the minute that it, that it was the straw that broke the camel's back, I thought that I should sit at a specific place at the meeting table. Now, that is absurd for me to say. I mean, it, it's crazy for me to say, but I really thought, and when I was not put at that place at the table, at the meeting table, I thought, I'm done. And I didn't even realize, I don't know what I was done with, but I was done. And I, that week, I Googled self-help because I really didn't, I didn't know if it was the company that I was working for or if it was me, but I knew that life, I was miserable. And I think there's, pictures of my journey going around somewhere and and I can look at the picture of me that week before program and I can see the desperation and the sadness and so I googled self-help and I don't remember if I don't remember which 12-step program came up but uh but I landed at OA and because I took that little test, and I have never done so well on a test, because, <laughs> because I was like, yeah, yeah. So I showed up to my first meeting, and, um, and I pretty much just cried the whole time. And I didn't know why I was crying, but I just cried. And by the grace of God, I was just able to cry. I didn't have to. Usually I had to figure it out, or you had to try, because I couldn't figure it out. And so I just cried, and then I heard you guys say you have to get a sponsor. And I really was, you know, desperation is a huge uh, motivator because I was like, I'll get, I'll get a sponsor. I'll get uh, whatever. And so I went to my first couple of meetings, and so then I was thinking about the sponsor thing. You have to find somebody that has what you want and ask them if they're willing to tell you how to get it. So I, fa- I had a couple of people in mind. I was driving to San Diego for a uh, family weekend, it would also make me cry. And I was, uh, I listened to the podcast of one, uh, my current sponsor, and and I, I drove, I had set my own abstinence. And it was no, only eating when I was hungry and no alcohol. That was my abstinence. And so I went down there and I ate whenever I wanted and I drank. And so I knocked it out of the park on that one. So, so I thought, this is awesome. I don't need a sponsor. So I texted my sponsor, and I said, I, I broke an abstinence that I set for myself. And she, to which she replied, tell me three things you did good. Or you did well. You did well. And I thought, and that made me cry. Because I was like, I just told you that I just blew a very simple thing, eat when you're hungry and don't drink. How hard that can that be? And my internal voice is much friendlier now. But, um, and her response was, tell me three things you did well. And, you know, the big book talks about ha- having a spiritual experience, or it talks about uh, a solution, um, which, by the way, is my favorite phrase of the big book, there is a solution, because I had a problem, and all I needed to know was there's a solution. And it says, we had come to believe in the hopelessness and the futility of life as we had been living it. And, and then it says, you have two options. Once you've come to this place, you have two options. Um, it says, you can go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, 
and the other is to accept spiritual help. So those were my two options. Now, I didn't read that that day and think, well, I'm going to consider those. I just knew I needed help, and I did not want to stay where I was. And so I asked my current sponsor, I, I think I called her, and I said, will you sponsor me? Which, well, with much trepidation, because I didn't know how to do this, and I thought if she says no, that will crush me, and because it really mattered what you guys did. Now I don't really care so much, but ne- then I really, I really cared. And I said, will you sponsor me? And she said, uh, come see me on Tuesday at the meeting. I'm like, no, 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 that was not, you didn't answer my question. And so I'm like, so I went and met her on Tuesday, and she talked with me a little bit. And the reason that I picked her was um, she had what I wanted. She had freedom from food. She was free. She was not, she didn't have this super rigid food plan. I mean, she ate bacon, and I was like, okay, you could, you could probably help me. So she ate bacon with freedom, and she said the F word was freedom, and I could do neither. And now I can do both. I can't do it now because it's recorded. But um, And so I asked her if she would show me how to get what she had, and... And she and she did. She said yes. And she and it's been three years. And we have had. It's not like she did not coddle me, and I wanted her to coddle me. But I thought, and she didn't have a lot of time for me. And I'm like, okay, I'm a newcomer. Aren't you supposed to be like really nice to me? And you know, one time after a meeting, I was very upset, and I said I needed to talk. And she says, is there somebody else you could talk to? And I thought, yeah, I don't know who the L.A. police are, but you would be in so much trouble. <laughs> and, you know, that has helped me now because she set boundaries and she put boundaries in place. And now I can say no to people, which means I can say yes to people. And so she's shown me. And it hasn't been. She hasn't coddled me. She hasn't. But she has helped me more than well, all of you guys have. This program has helped me more than anything. And so I got a sponsor. Um, trying to think, okay, so what it was like, what happened. So I was miserable. I came in the program. I got a sponsor. I do all the stuff. Um, and now, what it's like now, and I want to tell you a couple of stories about what it, what it's like now. And, and another one of my, I keep saying my favorite. How many favorites can you have? You can't have so many. But there are a lot of things I like. But that there is a... It's, I, I want to read it from the big book because I'll, I'll mess it up. Um, all right. Well, the spiritual part of it, I can't find it. Um, but that it's a spiritual program. That it's not you guys. It's not... Any, it's not a person, a place, or a thing, but it's a spiritual program. And that if I am just willing, I don't even have to believe. I have to be willing to believe that there's a power greater than myself. And I could do that. I could, and, and for me, the, I had been raised with, you know, home was dark, but two blocks away my grandparents lived. And they had a relationship with their higher power that was amazing. And so I had, that was not hard for me coming into program, but I didn't know how to seek that and it's a daily reprieve and so it's all a daily our daily reprieve our dailiness is based on our spiritual program and it's daily it's not for the month or for the year it's daily and so the the spiritual program and um okay so stories so i was doing the the uh 
going to meetings. I had a sponsor. And then self-care was not a strength of mine. And I and I want to talk about this briefly. I've talked about it before, and I don't want to. But it was, it was a very exciting experience because I had been in program for not quite a year. And I had a cold. I had, like, a bronchitis cold. And my sponsor said, um, just go see your doctor. And I thought, well, I'll go see a doctor, but I don't have a doctor. I mean, do real people, normal people have doctors? I don't know. I don't have a doctor. But I'll go to a doctor. She said, well, who does your mammograms and your your yearly checkups? I'm like, nobody. And I was at the age where I should have had probably four. So she said, yeah, your cold is the least of your worries, but go ahead. So I went in. <laughs> I went in. I got a doctor. I felt like such a big girl. I had a doctor. I almost said her name. I don't think you can, but... Um, and she was a peach, and so she said, well, who did your last mammogram? I'm like, okay, could we? No, I have not. So I went in. I had a mammogram, and it came back positive. And, um, and I cried, not beca- because the experience was so incredible. Because if this had happened three years before, it would have been a completely different experience. And so... So it was positive. I had two surgeries. I had radiation. And for one of my surgeries, a friend of mine went with me. And as I was going in to be, uh, I was going to get the anesthesia. And that was very exciting to me. And, uh, <laughs> and I thought, this is so legit. But uh, <laughs> And so as I'm being wheeled out, my friend said to me, don't check out. And I was this close to checking out because I was going to get medication to help me check out. And she said, be there for yourself. And, you know, it's you guys that says stuff like this. And so it was just, that's a spiritual experience. That, you know, um, oh, my gosh, i find out where that is. But because it defines a spiritual experience as huge emotional displacement and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side in a completely new set of conce- concepts and motives begin to dominate them. That's a spiritual experience. You know, for me, it was not angels and enlightenment. Oh, this could be considered enlightenment. But it was like, don't check out. Don't don't check out. And it was like, okay, I had this much know-how to not check out. And it was shifting my thoughts to just going to sleep to, okay, higher power, you are here. And so, phenomenal. And then, and then to just to see how things continue so last year no this year um i did a race and a race i didn't race it but i did a run and a cousin of mine who i had not seen probably in 15 years saw that i was doing the run and said oh she lives in northern california she said i want to come down and do it with you and so my sister and my niece and nephew and my cousin and i went and did it and if and and we had an amazing weekend, and we would not have had that if I had not been abstinent with food. It would not have gone that way. Um, and so this is just how the tools and the principles. That means I can live today. I can live whatever life has, whatever life throws at me. I can live. And uh, another story is, and it's a little bit about, well. Um, a couple months ago, a friend of mine emailed me and she said, hey, I have permits to hike Half Dome at uh, Yosemite. Do you want to go? And I had done it once. I'd done it 15 years ago, and I was terrified. And I thought, yeah, you know, I do want to do it. I want to see if I'm as terrified as I was before. And it 
I don't work out and I don't exercise unless I have a goal. And so I thought, that's great. She said, well, I'm trying to find a romantic interest, but if I don't, you want to go with me. <laughs> Heck of an invitation. And so I thought, um, in the olden days, I would have been like, no, I'm not going. I'm not second fiddle. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have gone. I would have been like, that is so rude. I'm not doing it. <laughs> and so I thought, oh, I hope she doesn't find romantic it. And she didn't. <laughs> so I went with her, and it, it took us like 11 and a half hours. And you do, you hike forever, and then you get to this rock, and, and the, the pitch, pitch, whatever, the rock, is, is that such a, I feel like I'm playing charades. But anyway, so there are, they have these two by fours on the rock. A two by four, and then you can stand on that two by four in rails, and you can go up to the next two by four, which is about 15, 10 to 15 feet. I was more terrified. I think because I had clarity of mind that I was like, this is just ridiculous. Thank you. Um, this is ridiculous. And so well, my friend, the one that, yeah, second fiddle, she said she had no, she was not worried. And so she said, I said, I would like to say go ahead once we got to those two-by-fours, but I don't want to. And she said, I, that's totally fine. She said, do you want to lead or do you want me to lead? I said, you lead. She said, okay, I'll go to the next two-by-four. You just tell me when you're ready to go to the next two-by-four. Because the ranger said, just go to the next two-by-four. And so I would go to the two-by-four. And so I would say one more. That's all I could say. That's all I could utter. Now, she was oblivious to the fact of my fear. We had, we figured this out later. I thought, did she think I was just, I don't know what she thought. She didn't really realize I was just terrified but, terrified, but I would go to the next two by four, and then I would say one more. And I did that for 50 freaking two by fours. And we got to the top, and she was so excited, and I could not breathe because I had to go back down. But I tried, I said, I am not chatty, but we can stay up here as long as you want. And we did. Or, <laughs> and back, the way back down was so much easier, uh, which I didn't think it was going to be. So we, we got down. And when we got back to the trail, where we were not on rock, that if we slipped, our life would go, then my ability to talk came back. You know, and I gave her a high five, high ten, or, and a hug, and, I, and she said, I didn't, what was your level of fear on a scale of one to ten? And I said, oh, my goodness, it was a twenty. And she tried to come for me. She said, well, if you were to fall, your clothes would kind of grasp onto the side of the... I'm like, so glad we didn't have this conversation up there. <laughs> That's not comforting. Um, and, you know, that is what this program does for me. You know, you guys don't climb the mountain and get up there and shout down what I'm supposed to do. You guys are right there with me. And it's not, you don't even, you don't tell me everything. It's like, okay, when you get to the next step, then we'll tell you the next step. And it was not lost on me, the, the, how that compared. That's the same thing. Um, you know, and those pictures, I have before and I have after pictures. And... You know, I have pages in the back, which I am so excited for what is to come because, oh, oh, oh I mean, that's what I was going to say was, so I've been in a program, I've maintained a 45-pound weight loss, 
and I would like it to be 50 because 50 is a lot better than 45. <laughs> and, and, you know, but what I've learned, and I think it's on purpose that it's 45. I'm glad it's not 49, but, um, <laughs> but because my, my weight is not mine to manage. Like, I, I know what I can eat. I know how, I know that, you know, I am free, to, free from compulsive overeating, and I have a plan, and my weight is not mine to manage. Doing all those things brings me to the weight that I am, I believe, that I am supposed to be. And if I start to manage my weight, I am in big trouble. And, to, and if I wanted to be, get 50, I would have to manage my weight. And I could do it, but I couldn't do it for long. And I would be out the door, and I would be running again. And so I do today what I know to do, today, today, today. And so I am so excited for the next little pictures that will be in there. And because no matter what, there will be hard times. There will be life. There will be life. Life situations are no different today than they were when I was six. But thank God I don't have a balloon that I'm trying to hammer with. I have tools. So um, with that, I'm going to end. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, so I have to repeat the question. Uh, can I tell you how my relationship with God has evolved? So, like I said, my grandparents lived two blocks down, two blocks away from us, and that, by the grace of God, because I would go over there, and it was just a safe, safe place. And it's uncanny that I don't really have any memory of using food at their place. It was just the safest, warm. It smelled like apple pie, but that wasn't bad. Um, and and they had a relationship with their higher power that was just loving and dear to me. And so I I would, quote-unquote, play around with that. Like, I would pray, and I would think about God. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't work the program. I would not invest in that with any consistency. And so when I came into these rooms, what I love, 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 and maybe the, the biggest thing that I learned was, you know, all I had to do was have a willingness to believe in a power greater than our, myself. And it doesn't matter what I believe, if, if, I, if my God is the ocean or, or God with big G or whatever. That's so, that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I mean, it's relevant to me, but it's not relevant to anybody else. But that which is so accepting and open and loving, and it allows me to be free. Because it is not mine to manage anybody else's anything and there's not even the illusion that that is the case here and so so now like right now i i meditate for four minutes and i pray for seven why 11 i don't know but i've just been been doing that and it's hard to do and it's you know it helps it brings me such peace of mind and yet it is i have to tell myself really you don't have 11 minutes you have 11 minutes and uh, that's not very self, nice self-talk, but I, I'm a little nicer than that. Um, does that answer your question? What is my daily morning routine that helps me get up and do life? Uh, sometimes it starts the minute I wake up. I can. It can be challenging sometimes. I can wake up with a heaviness that that is not mine to manage, and so I will say the third step prayer I'll say any prayer that comes to my mind and then I'll do my 11 minutes and then if I have if 
routine for me is good, especially if I'm struggling, if I'm having a hard, rough morning. Um, then I will have the breakfast that I almost always have. Not because I have to, but because it's just kind of my go-to. Um, so that's pretty much it. I will say a prayer. And then if I'll pray and then in bed, and then I'll do my 11 minutes. And then if it's still persistent, then I will call much to my chagrin and see how somebody's doing and that I, I do not feel like doing it but if I do it's amazing it's like I'm going to try I'm going to try it and see if it really works how are you you know and it, and it usually is enough to shift and then if it doesn't I think you know what it's okay you're okay you're okay thank you um, what is my abstinence and how has it changed my abstinence is no binging and um, I have a food plan which is pretty much three meals a day and optional snacks. And they really are optional for once in my life. Uh, it used to be that if it was optional, it was given. Um, and I, at the end of the day, I send my food to my sponsor. And if she sees any, she usually, if she sees something out of the ordinary, uh, she will she'll ask me about it. Uh, and how has it changed? At the beginning of program, I was really afraid of putting on weight. And not because of the physical, um, not because of being heavy. I was afraid because of all that that represented for my life. It was despair. And I thought, I don't want to lose weight. And so, I mean, I don't want to lose weight. I don't want to gain weight. Um, <laughs> and so I was really rigid. And my sponsor was like, you know, it's okay, you know, you're allowed You're allowed to eat. Um, so it has changed in that I have a little bit more freedom. I weigh and measure my food because that gives me great freedom. I don't know the, the serving of a chicken breast to save my life. You know, it's two chickens if, if it were to me. <laughs> so that gives me great great freedom. And But if I, am out, go, if I go out to eat or if I'm at somebody's house, uh, then I don't, you know, weigh and measure. So it, it gives me great freedom. So I've just, I have a little bit more freedom in my food plan. With that, I'm going to thank you. Thank you very much.